The Samaritans were outcasts in Jewish society, worship, and religion. They had forsaken the God of their faith, the God of their Jewish ancestors. They were unfaithful to the covenant. They had mingled with the pagans, living among them, marrying them, worshiping their false gods, and ultimately believing in these pagan false gods. They were outside of the law and outside of the covenant. They were seen as unworthy of the covenant and its promises. They were unworthy of the God of Israel, for they had apostatized, for they had known the God of the covenant, yet they turned their back on him. The Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. In fact, they usually went out of their way while traveling so as not to have to pass through Samaria or to come into contact with one of these pagan infidels. It wasn't always this way, though. Before their mingling with the pagans of the land, the Samaritans originally received the same call and election from God. They held the same faith and relationship with God and his divine life, for they were Jews after all. Their common father was Jacob. Then came the apostasy to the point, as St. John says in the Gospel, the Jews have nothing in common with the Samaritans. Yet in the story of the Good Samaritan in St. Luke, the Samaritan traveler is portrayed with the attributes of God, mercy and care, love and concern, this which was lacking in the priest and the Levite in the story, who saw the man who had fallen prey to the robbers and passed him by. In the scripture passages this day, water has a place of prominence. The Jews, in their exodus from Egypt and their sojourn in the desert to the Promised Land, a land flowing with milk and honey, which God promised to his people, they grumbled. They complained against God and Moses. Give us water to drink. Why did you make us leave Egypt just to have us die here in the wilderness? Were there not sufficient graves in Egypt? Similar grumbling and murmuring and complaining against God, Moses, and Aaron occurred also over food on the same journey. Would that we had died at the Lord's hand in Egypt as we sat by our flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. You had to lead us, they said, into this desert to make the whole community die of famine. We remember the fish we used to eat without cost in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Now we see nothing before us but this manna. We are disgusted with this wretched food. Returning to water. Water is first mentioned in the book of Genesis in the creation account of the world and the cosmos. 
water is life-giving, generating, refreshing. It cools, quenches, gives growth, sustains life, and washes. It makes the land fertile and produce crops. It can also destroy and purify. It is an essential element of life. Now, in Christ Jesus, water is associated with the sacrament of baptism, with life, order, and indeed new life. An image we have of this is the water flowing and gushing forth from the sacred pierced side of Christ on the cross as he slept in the sleep of death, bringing forth the Holy Spirit and the Church from his sacred side. In Scripture, water is seen as the symbol of the action of the Holy Spirit in baptism. The gestation of our first birth took place in water in our mother's womb, and thence our birth into this life out of the water. So now, the waters of baptism signify that our second birth into divine life is given us in the Holy Spirit as we become a new creation and members of the household of God. We see this day the Samaritan woman at the well coming to a gradual faith. She acknowledges and confesses Jesus as prophet, Messiah, and the Christ, and the townspeople profess Jesus as truly the Savior of the world, the same revelation of Christ as we hear at the Feast of the Epiphany, where Jesus is manifested and acclaimed as the Messiah of Israel, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. Through her personal encounter with Jesus, the Samaritan, in coming to faith in Christ, participates in the task of evangelization, telling others of Jesus and helping to lead them to him and to faith in him. We are told that she left the water jar at the well, and like the apostles and disciples called by Jesus to follow him, she goes off to tell others of the good news, of the very word of God himself, who likewise invites her to discipleship. We are told that Jesus was tired from his journey. The hour was about noon when he stopped at the well and began his encounter with this daughter of Samaria. Noon, it's the same hour as the crucifixion and agony on the cross. It's the time when devout Jews would stop and pray, the hour prescribed by scripture for prayer for the sanctification of the day and of all of its many activities, tasks, and responsibilities. For a good portion of the story, Jesus is alone with the woman at the well, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food, an image that we encounter in the story of the ten virgins who are awaiting the arrival 
albeit a long delayed arrival of the bridegroom, when the foolish virgins go into town to procure, even at midnight, additional oil for their lamps. It can also call to mind the request of the apostles for Jesus to dismiss the crowds who were with him so they could go into the town to buy food for themselves, since it was a deserted place where they were. The response of Jesus to this request of the apostles, give them something to eat yourselves, which Jesus does in the Eucharistic miracle of the feeding of the multitudes. Jesus in the Eucharist gives us his flesh, which is real food indeed for the life of the world. He gives us himself, body and blood, soul and divinity, as food for the journey to refresh us, to renew us, strengthen us and sustain us, lest we grow weary, lose the way, or grow faint of heart. In the discourse on the bread of life in St. John's Gospel, Jesus teaches that my flesh is real food and my blood real drink. He who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, he tells us, has life eternal, and I will raise him up on the last day. Next Sunday, we will encounter the story of the man born blind, with physical blindness being in scripture a way to speak of spiritual blindness, of pride, an obtuse spirit, of self-centeredness. Jesus cuts through this to reveal that he is the light of the world, calling the blind man, catechumens, members of the church, the body of Christ, to deeper faith in him. And in two weeks, we will hear the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead and the profession of Martha and Mary in Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, likewise calling us to a deeper faith in him. Through the holy and life-giving waters of baptism and the miracle of the body and blood of Christ given for the life and salvation of the world, may we prepare and prepare well for the approaching Paschal Triduum and for the fullness of eternal life without end. <laughs>